0: would be attentive, God, um, that we would grow in in our knowledge and experience of you even more um, tonight and as we go throughout this week. Um, God, thank you for who you are, for how you love us, and for the fact that we even get to have relationship with you. Uh, We pray all these things. Hello? What's up? Got it. That's going to... All right. I'm Mark. Thanks, Matt. Um, it's always good to be with Matt. Um, so I want to get started tonight. Some of my favorite memories um, growing up, and even as an adult, have been sitting around the table with somebody. Um, I got a lot of good memories of my family. I grew up with two brothers, so three boys. Um, and probably about probably about the time I was seven or eight, my parents like. We had a I don't know if you I don't say do that anymore, but we had a house that had a like a den and then a formal living room. And nobody ever went in the living room. Like it had when I was growing up it had like this green shag carpet and all this like weird furniture and nobody ever went in there. So probably the time I was seven or eight, my parents decided to like make that our living room, like den area, and then turn the den into like a big dining room. It was huge. And they bought this big oak table. Um and so can remember vividly you know, doing coming home with my older brother, doing homework there, playing paper football games uh, with my brother. So it's just spending a lot of time around that table. <laughs> my grandparents had a, a table that, like my great uncle built, and every time my, my brothers and I were were out of school, um, they would invite us over. We have Village Inn Pizza, which is a local pizza place, and so they would um, do that. Also have fond memories of sitting with um, a not so bearded guy around a table at Atlanta Bread Company, um, discussing. Just various things of life. We'll just leave it like that. Am I right, Matt? <laughs> um, so meals, you know, sharing a meal with some, somebody is a great place to share um, community. And right? I think the, the one thing about that is that when you sit down with a meal, like, everybody is, is the same. Everybody is, is, is even, you're even saying, you know, I take this food because I need it to live. You have to have this food to live. So everybody's kind of at the same place. Right? Nobody's a superhero, nobody's greater than another person. Um, if you've been here any period of time, I'm sure you've heard this, Matt, I've heard say this, but Tim Chester says, um, meals bring mission into the ordinary. I think that's what you guys have been talking about, how meals bring mission into the ordinary. But that's where most people are living, in the ordinary, and that's where we need to reach them. Um, one of the best places to reach people is around the table, and so that's what Sojourn Church has been doing is... Gathering with people, gathering around the table with people, but have you ever been invited to a meal, um, and you just didn't quite fit in? Maybe um, it was a meal where you didn't really know which fork to use first. I've been to a few of those. <laughs> There's so many pieces of silverware on this table that I'm not sure which one to grab first. Um, so I have to kind of look at, at people. You know, people kind of. If I, I grab the salad fork for the dinner, I don't know. I, I still don't know, um, but people kind of maybe give you a different, I remember one time I went to India, and like we sat down to eat, and I'm like looking for utensils to eat, and they start laughing at me, because there are none, right? you just have to eat with your hands, and so <coughs> um, maybe you've been to a, a meal where, um, one time I got invited to a wedding, and I didn't have a tie, and I didn't know it was a, a tie wedding, and so it kind of just stayed in the background a little bit, um, maybe you didn't have the right clothes on, maybe you're in a foreign country, how did how'd that make you feel? Do it you you kind of feel left out right you don't know the right things to do, the right rituals um you feel kind of on the outside, and I think sometimes as a church, we can do that to other people as we can, we can have these these little rules or these little customs that can keep people on the outside and uh Jesus ran into this very thing he was invited uh to a meal with Pharisees, and they corrected him on some things. We're going to look at this passage in a second. Um, But he came back pretty strong against them with some rebukes. And so um, sometimes we have great discussions around a meal. Sometimes great family decisions are made. Um, But there's sometimes I can remember as a kid sitting around that table and being rebuked sharply by one Danny Collins, uh, who was (laughs) a middle school principal, um, and he was my father. And so (laughs) Those kind of things happen too, and that's what we're going to look at today. If you turn over with me to Luke chapter 11, um, this is where Jesus has a meal with the Pharisees, and it doesn't go so well for some of those sitting around the table. Let's start in verse 37, Luke 11:37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. So while he was speaking, we need to kind of think back before he's, ta- he's kind of talking about a lot of things. He's been talking about um, keeping God's word and doing it. He's been talking about the sign of Jonah. Uh, the people are looking for a sign. Jesus, give us a sign. that the end, is coming. He said, this generation will receive the sign of Jonah, which he's talking about himself, um, the the word of repentance, but himself being in the, the grave for three days as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. And then he talks about this light and dark, and what's on the inside will show on the outsides who have if your heart is dark, then it'll be darkness through your eyes. Um, if it is light, then it'll be light. And that's when a Pharisee stops and and says, "Ask Jesus to come and eat with him." Right? This is probably natural uh, thing for a Pharisee to do. We'll see in a little bit how they really crave recognition. So you're thinking, you're seeing Jesus grow in popularity up to this point in Luke. Right? He's got huge crowds coming around him. He's going into towns and he's healing people. So you can imagine the kind of talk that is. Um, happening around who, Jesus. Um, so the Pharisees who crave this recognition would love to have Jesus this mo- like he's a rock star at this point. Jesus everybody knows who Jesus is. everybody wants to be uh, where Jesus is. everybody wants the, him to come to their house. Um, there's already been a couple times. Um, there's two other times in Luke that Jesus goes and dines with Pharisees. One of those is in Luke chapter 7 where he's sitting in Simon the Pharisee's house, and this woman of ill repute comes in, and she um, she anoints Jesus's feet, and she wipes her wipes his feet with her hair. And the the, the Pharisees there say, "Don't they don't, doesn't he know who this woman is?" And um, he corrects them and says, "You know, you, I was here. You didn't do any of this for me. And she wiped my feet with her hair." And then later on, Luke 14, he goes to the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and he heals someone on the Sabbath. And they're saying, don't you know that it's not good for you to heal on the Sabbath, right? You're breaking the Sabbath laws. Um, and then he condemns them for that too, right? That that man was created, that Sabbath was created for the man, not not man for the Sabbath, right? So you're, you're putting burdens on these people. And so these two occasions don't work out that great for the Pharisees. Now this one doesn't either, okay? So he's he's sitting there and... Um, we're going to see how Jesus reacts to the Pharisees and the scribes in this passage. He gives six woes. We're going to talk about what woes are in a second. Um, But what do these condemnations, and and look at what these condemnations mean for the Pharisees and the scribes. And then as we're going through those, um, it's a good idea to maybe think about what they mean for you, right? Um, So let's read. Go on in Luke chapter 11, verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So the first thing we see is that the Pharisees are, are astonished. They're kind of taken aback that Jesus doesn't wash, wash his hands. Um, now some of you guys, how many in here maybe be germaphobic? Anybody germaphobic? You may, you may be astonished that somebody doesn't wash their hands before a meal, right? I got l- little kids in my house, and sometimes they don't wash their hands before meals, and um, I try not to be astonished. Um, sometimes, but um, this is not just a hygienic cleansing. This is not just going into the bathroom before you sit down at a meal and wash your hands and be done. This was some kind of ritual um, cleansing. So, so the hands were viewed as one of the most unclean parts of the body. Right? Like even today, I was thinking when we went through public transportation and you're like leaning on the handrails and grabbing things, and you're, you could drive yourself crazy if you think, who's been here, who's touched this, right? What have, what have they touched and then brought here? Um, and so for the Pharisees, the hands were a point of contact with a lot of things that could be unclean. You just wouldn't know it. So in the Bible, they were given laws, the priests were given laws to cleanse their hands before they would serve in the temple, before that. So what the Pharisees had done and the the Jews had done is developed a kind of religious thing, so uh, religious laws and rules on top of laws that were given to priests, and then they trickled down to all the people. Um, And so now everybody had to do this ritualistic washing in order to be clean before you ate. Now, we we sit here and think of that, and it's like, man, that's just a lot of rigmarole. They're going through a lot of things. But for a Pharisee... (coughs) To be unclean meant that you couldn't like you couldn't worship God correctly. the The study of the Torah, the study of the law, was going to be unclean, so you were going to be defiled in doing that. So everything that they lived for, they would not be able to do. Okay. So when Jesus comes in, um, well, when Jesus comes in and he doesn't wash, the Pharisees just are besides themselves, beside themselves. And Jesus looks at them and says. You know, it's not the outside that makes you clean; it's the inside, right? There's a lot of times in my house um, that we don't have enough bowls clean at the time that we need cl- clean, right? You guys ever been there? Like you want to make some ramen noodles, or you want to make a bowl of cereal, and um, somebody made oatmeal in the like one of the bowls before and didn't clean it out, and the, the, all the dishes are dirty. I see some fingers pointing over here. I guess it must be roommates or something, <laughs> right? So, but. So you've got to take the bowl and you've got to like wash it in the sink, right? Now, it would be ridiculous if you take the bowl and you just wash the outside of it and then you put your Cinnamon Toast Crunch right, in, on top of the dried oatmeal or whatever whatever was in there. Right? That's ridiculous. If anything, you're going to wash what first? You're going to wash the inside, right? Because that's the part that's going to touch the cereal. That's the part. You know, the outside doesn't really matter that much. Um, and so <clears throat> that's what Jesus is saying. Right? He says, he says you, you wash the inside first, right? Why would you worry about the outside? The dish is, is inside, it's not clean. So he speaks out. When he speaks out against the Pharisees, he's breaking another dinner etiquette. So at this point, Jesus just doesn't care anymore. He right? doesn't care what they think anymore. Um, so he says, you need to worry about the inside. If you're really worried about being clean. So what the Pharisees were doing is seeing themselves as making themselves clean by doing this ritual washing on the outside. So if you're really worried about being clean, you would be worried about the heart being clean, right? Washing the outside does nothing to purify your heart, and that's what Jesus is more worried about. So a better way, he gives them a better way to wash off impurity, a better way to clean out impurities um, is by turning your insides over to God, that's what he says, right? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you, he says, basically, give to the poor if you want to be clean. Show your, the, let this generosity come from inside of you, right? Let the outside actions that you do, like giving, be an indication of something that's happened on the inside of you. Let it be an indication of what's pure on the inside. <clears throat> so Jesus is rebuking them right here for emphasizing those outside things over the inside things, okay? Um, and then he doesn't stop. He just lays into them with this series of woes. And that's not a, really a term that I use a lot. Like I don't pronounce woes on anyone. So a woe is, is kind of like a rebuke, um, a condemnation, um, a lament. He's really sorry that they do this and kind of a call for repentance all in the same thing. So he's pronouncing these six woes on the Pharisees and the scribes. So woe number one in verse 42, he says this. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here he, he accuses the Pharisees of, like, putting these little rules over these huge issues, right? Tithing was giving 10%. So there were, these, this law, this was a good thing. He wasn't saying that it was a bad thing, right? So the, the Pharisees were notorious for counting out like their mint, um, like leaves of mint, not like peppermints, but like leaves of mint, some (laughs) kind of spice. Um, Rue is like deal spice. So they had all these spices. They were giving a tenth of what they had, right, which was a good thing, right? They're careful to do these things, these things that God calls us to do. They're probably great at it. They're probably great at like counting out exactly 10% of everything that they had. But Jesus rebukes them, And, and it's easy to concentrate on those small things, Because those things are much easier. It's easier for me to count out 10% of what I own than it is to to do justice. Because the big things are hard. Making things right requires much more than just 10% of who you are. It requires probably more than 10% of what you're worth. Um, It requires all of you. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. Matthew 22, 37 to 40 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So big things are hard. Big things are like loving your neighbor, loving God by loving your neighbor. It takes more than 10% of your time to maybe mow your neighbor's yard, or maybe make them supper when they've been sick. Maybe Go spend time with them and pray with them when they've had um, something go wrong in their life. Maybe um, their marriage is going bad. It takes takes more than just 10% of your time. And that's what he's rebuking um, the Pharisees for. Loving God and loving others requires a generosity um, that is much more than something that can be counted out. You can't just give 10% and check it off. That's That's what Jesus is saying. Well, number two. Luke 11, 43, woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. <clears throat> the Pharisees desire recognition. I went to high school with a guy that he would, like, anything he did, he would, like, look around, see if anybody was watching him, right? Just so, I mean, just to see if people were watching, like, maybe it was a good thing. Um, he would just, like, kind of look around and see if people were watching him. That's That's, like, the image I get of these Pharisees. They're going... To the synagogue just to see who's there, to see who will notice him. They're going to the marketplace, right, strutting in, walking in, just to see who will notice him. It's funny because the synagogue was not a place for recognition, but they had turned it into something like that. It was supposed to be a place of prayer, a place of worship, a place of studying God's word, but they had made it not about God, not about going to worship God, not about going to study God's word, but about people who were there to notice them. Right? That's what happened. They loved the attention they got. They craved it. Um, and I think the hunger for recognition shows that their devotion to God was only just that, a show. It was just a show. They have no real devotion to God. Otherwise, they would have been at the synagogues to seek him, to seek not to seek honor for themselves. So that's woe number two. They love recognition. They seek honor for themselves. Woe number one, they emphasize little rules over big issues. Woe number two, they, just, they sought recognition for themselves and not for God. Woe number three, verse 44. Woe to you for you're like unmarked graves. And people walk over them without knowing it. Unmarked graves. I and mean, that's pretty, Jesus is getting pretty harsh here. right? Unmarked graves are not noticed. Anybody ever been to a graveyard? What, what is there in a graveyard? Tombstones, like headstones, like uh, feetstone. What is that called? Footstones, right? Feetstones, right? So you kind of know the grave. Anybody ever been in a graveyard and you just kind of feel a little bit funny about walking where somebody is laying um, dead? I mean, it it kind of like doesn't creep me out, but it's just kind of like I I feel like I need to pay some kind of respect. Um, But for an unmarked grave, what is there to mark someone is laying there? Nothing. It's unmarked, right? So you're walking over top of people who are dead without even noticing it. Now, this is, a, this is like a blasting insult, okay? Because there's a couple of things here, right? An unmarked grave, it might look like a perfectly green, like green grass, perfect, healthy on top. But underneath is something that's dead and something that's decaying, right? But the other point is this. The Pharisees, who were very concerned about being clean, right? one of the worst things that could make you unclean was being in contact with a dead body, being around something that was dead. And so what Jesus is saying is that you who are worried about making yourself unclean, about teaching people how to be clean, you are actually leading people to be unclean. By them being around you, you are actually making them unclean. So the irony is that they worried about this ritual cleanliness, um, and they were actually the ones who were leading people astray and were making people unclean. They were unknowingly coming unclean <coughs> because they were around them. That, that's, that's huge condemnation for the Pharisees. So he rebuked, rebukes the Pharisees for, one, being concerned about outer over the inner, right, outer purity over inner purity, about following little rules over dealing with big issues, um, about seeking recognition for yourself over seeking recognition for God, and then about being dead on the outside, appearing alive on the inside, um, and ultimately leading people to a place where they were unclean. Now, there's other people at the table, and we see them speak up in verse 45. These guys are scribes, so break it down like this. Pharisees, like that's a word that we, we hear a lot in the Bible, right? And immediately, if you... If you've ever read any parts of the Bible, especially in New Testament, you kind of think about it like this, like Jesus is a good guy, the Pharisees are what? The bad guys, right? They're just kind of at odds all the time. Now, it wasn't like that in the community, right? Because the Pharisees were very well respected because they were trying to follow God and trying to keep the law. So, but the Pharisees were like laymen. They were a part of this sect, they were part of this like, almost kind of like a denomination Right, they were concerned about keeping the law. They were, they were just laymen. they were part of this. Now, these guys, the scribes, who we're going to see in verse 45, um, they're like professional lawyers. They're like professional law students. Their, their job is to study the law and like break it down and give it to the people so people can understand it. So they're doing this um, for a job. So that's who the scribes are. It says this. Verse 45, one of the lawyers, um, some translations call them scribes, some call them lawyers. So one of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Right? I just think this is really hilarious. Right? Jesus is blasting these Pharisees at the table. <laughs> and the scribes speak up and go, hey, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Right? You, you know, we are really respected people. You can't be saying that to them because it's, it's showing on us too. And in my brain, I feel like, I don't know, Jesus doesn't say this, but it's almost as if he, he steps up and goes, well, you haven't seen anything yet. He right? says, so I got some for you too. Um, so he steps in, and gives some more more insulting, more rebukes, um, to show that, that the, the lawyers and the scribes don't understand what is happening either. Um, so these professional people were very concerned with keeping the law. And woe number four, he pronounces against them in verse 46. He says, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear. You yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. So he's accusing them here. So they're supposed to like break down the law and disperse it to the people to, ha- to be helpful. Said law? Anybody, I mean, read the Old Testament. It's kind of difficult to understand, especially like following all these rules. And so they were to try to, to interpret it and help the people keep the law. But what happened was. That they started making more rules in order to try to help people keep the law, and it started being more burdensome. And so these rules became more like codified, and they became like you have to follow these rules in order to follow the law. Um, and so it was really hard. Like I was looking up some laws that, right? One of the the, the main laws is keep the Sabbath day holy, right? You are not supposed to work on, on the Sabbath. Um, one of the laws. Well, there was a, a law about this time that um, if you were a woman and you wore a dress, the, and it had a bow on it, and then the bow had to be sewn into the dress. Otherwise, if it wasn't sewn into the dress, then you would be guilty of carrying a bow on the Sabbath, which would be work, okay? It just sounds crazy, right? This is how it got broken down. Um, so, if, you know, there was all kind of these rules for all of these laws, and so it was becoming a burden for people to remember all of those things, right? Does this, well, you can just imagine, like going to your closet, does this dress have, is the bow sewed on, or does it have to tie it on? Um, those kind of things, right? So they were actually giving more and more rules on the people, piling them on higher and higher, so it was more burdensome. Um, and they offered no leniency in, in any of that. Right? They were going strictly by the letter of the law instead of the spirit of the law. And so they were, you know, it's almost like, you know, if you, if you don't do that, you're breaking the Sabbath, and then you'll be condemned. And so scaring people with the law is actually keeping them from God. And it goes on to Woe or 5, verse 47. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So the prophets um, were people sent by God. So long before this time, when the people started straying from the law of God, God sent the prophets, okay, and the prophets were basically bringing God's word to the people saying, you're going away from my law, you're going away from my commandments, you're going away from the plan that I have for you, and the prophets came to pronounce God's word to people. Sometimes it was judgment, sometimes it was if you keep going down this way, then this is going to happen, there'll be judgment on you, um, and what the people did is they didn't like it, so they killed them, they killed, they killed all, they, they killed a lot of the prophets, And now what these people are, what he's saying, he's accusing them of, he's saying, you build the tombs of the prophets. Building a tomb for someone is almost like building a monument for someone. So we've got all these dead prophets in the past, and now these Pharisees are coming, they're they're keeping law, and they're starting to build these monuments for the prophets. As if to say, right, if we lived in the days of the prophets, we would have listened to them, We're, we're elevating them. But the funny thing is, and the ironic thing is, they're sitting even now in the presence of the greatest prophet, and they're about to kill him. Right? They're about to do the exact same thing. Jesus goes on, verse 48, and 51. He says, So you're witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against the generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So he's basically accusing them of being responsible for the deaths of all the prophets. Abel, the first martyr in the first book of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis, all the way to Zechariah, who was in, in Chronicles, which is where the Hebrew, Bible, I mean, the Hebrew um, Bible would have ended with the story of the prophets. He's saying, you guys are, are just as guilty of rebellion. And that's what it was. When their forefathers killed the prophets, they were rebelling against the word of God. The word of God was coming forth to them to rebuke them, to call them to repentance, and they didn't. They killed the prophets. So in essence, they were rebelling against the word of God. They hear God's word, and they rebel against it. (laughs) Well, number six, verse 52, woe to you, lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. Um, in order for all of us to get in here tonight, somebody, I don't know who opened, the, who opened this room tonight. So Matt came over and unlocked. So Matt has the key to the Stamp Society, right? And Let us all in. He's a, <laughs> he's a good man. The key to understanding, the key to knowledge is the scripture. And Jesus is saying, you scribes, you hold the scripture. You hold the key to knowledge. But basically what you've done is that you've thrown it away. Right? You weren't, they're no, they weren't unlocking the scripture for people and giving it to them. Um, they were keeping them away from it. Uh, and so just like with the laws, they had made it an obstacle to worship God. They had made it an obstacle to hear God's word. They were concerned basically with spreading their own religion, not telling the truth about who God was. So Jesus re- rebuked the scribe for three things, uh, for emphasizing the law over grace, for emphasizing Uh, for rebelling against the word of God and for making it difficult for people to get to God. And he calls them, he calls them out, basically he rebukes them, um, and this is their response. Verse 53 and 54, as he went away, that's Jesus, as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about these things lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. So it's like whatever Jesus has just said to them goes in one ear and out the other. They don't listen to a word he says. Um, They lie in wait to trap him. They're waiting to catch him and to kill him. Um, And I can't help, when I go through this passage, I don't think you can help um, hear these woes. And I think about, like, you and me like what if we were at that table with Jesus right what it would you know sometimes <laughs> you you get asked maybe a question uh, youth ministries do this a lot like who are three people you'd like to have dinner with right so a lot of you know, Jesus obviously right Teddy Roosevelt or something I don't know um that guy seems cool but <laughs> but what would it be like to actually I mean this kind of gives a taste I don't know I don't really know if I want to sit down <laughs> with Jesus at the table right after hearing this like what would he say to me and how would I respond? And I think part of what the scripture is doing here is calling us. The scripture always calls us to respond. So as we've gone through these, I hope that you have asked yourself, like, what would Jesus say to you? Right? What, would, what is he saying to you today? It's interesting because you get to the end of the woe, and there's how many woes? There's six woes, right? It's kind of weird for the Bible because the Bible does a lot of things in sevens, right? Seven days of creation, um, seven deadly sins, seven seals in Revelation. Seven is this perfect number, right? So you could look at this and you think, like, where's the seventh woe? The same thing happens in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5. The Lord, um, Isaiah was one of his prophets. The Lord brings these woes. There's like six woes in Isaiah chapter 5. They're like woes against the wicked people. Um, (laughs) Some of them are are things like, woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they they may run after strong drink. Um, (laughs) Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So all of these woes, there's six of them pronounced. And it's kind of left hanging. Where's the seventh woe? And you get over to to chapter 6, and we read this. (laughs) and the house was filled with smoke. So we have Isaiah in the throne room of God. He's standing before God in all of his glory. And he sees him. And this is what he said. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when Isaiah is faced with the holiness of God, when he's face, face to face with who God is, He pronounces that woe on himself. Woe is me. So the seventh woe, I think, in Luke chapter 11 comes when we pronounce that seventh woe on ourselves. Woe is me. I'm just like the Pharisees. I'm just like the scribes. If you're at that table, what will your response be? Same as the Pharisees, will it go in one, one ear and out the other? Will you be concerned with the way people look on the outside instead of being concerned about their inner holiness? Or will you say, woe is me, I'm a hypocrite? Will you emphasize like, small rules over big issues? Or will you say, woe is me, and admit where you fail to seek what is right for people, fail to love people? Will you seek recognition from man and not from God? Or will you say, woe is me, for I have sought <clears throat> man's approval and not God's? Will you continue being an unmarked grave and leading people into death? Or will you say, woe is me, I'm dead on the inside, and only you, Jesus, can give me life? Will you continue to put laws and burdens on people, emphasizing that over grace, or will you say, woe is me, for I've burdened people with the the law of God and I've done nothing to help them? Will you rebel against the word of God, or will you say, woe is me, for I've killed the prophets and I've put to death the very ones who are bringing God's word to me? Will you hinder people from getting to God through his word, or will you say, woe is me, for I've taken away the key of knowledge? kept people from God. I think the better call for us is not, I mean, the better response is not the response of the Pharisees, not the response of the scribes, but the response of repentance. When Jesus rebukes us, when Jesus pronounces woes, the call should be to repent. And it's interesting because everything that he rebukes in the Pharisees is exactly the opposite of who he is, right? He calls us to be like him. He looks on inward purity. When we sit around the table with our guests, and hopefully you invite um, people to your table and to your community, we should look on inward purity. Be concerned with people's inward purity. Jesus loves justice, and he loves God. When we sit around the table with others, we should love justice. Do what is right for people. Seek what is good. Love God by loving others. Seek out how people are hurting. Seek out how they've been hurt. Give everything to make it right. This is what Jesus did. He gave everything to make it right. He calls us to do the same. Jesus never once sought out recognition from a man. He knew his identity and his recognition was from God. When we sit around the table with others, it's not to make yourself feel good. It's not to say, hey, look how many people I've had supper with. Look how many people have come over to my house. Look how many people I'm doing life with or being in community with, right? It's to point them to God, to seek recognition from God. Jesus is life. He brings life. Right? He's not an unmarked grave. When you sit around the table with people, that's what you should be doing, bringing life, um, living water, pointing them to the water of life. That's Jesus Christ, the, um, the bread of life. Jesus didn't burden people with the law. He came to fulfill the law. He pours out grace freely. Jesus is God's word. Right? He loves God's law. So when you sit around the table with others when you're in community with others. Love God's word and point people to it. And ultimately, Jesus leads people to God, right, away from silly rituals, but actually into the presence of God. And he's given us, if you're a follower of him, he's given us his Holy Spirit, right, to lead us and to teach us and to point others to him. So we all, like Christ, need to look on the inside, right, be more concerned about someone's inner purity than someone's outward purity, right, have compassion on them. (laughs) The call today, I think, for us is to, to hear this word and to repent. Right, to think about what kind of dinner host you're going to be. You're going to be like the Pharisees, right? Are you going to be like the greatest dinner host? Revelation chapter 19 tells about the marriage supper of the Lamb, um, when the bride of Christ—that's those who follow Him, that's those who um, are believers in Him—will all ultimately gather around the table with their Lord and Savior, and and eat. And it's a, it's an amazing picture of this great community um, that Jesus has called us into. <coughs> so that's the question for you today will you be like this great host or will you be like these terrible hosts these pharisees who were really concerned with outward holiness which leads people to death or will you be one who invites all kinds of people into your life to your table um, broken people hurting people um, people that are not from the same background as you people who look different than you will you invite them all to the table and point them to jesus who can make them clean Um, through his blood let's be life-giving dinner hosts father we love you (laughs) thank you that you have that you you teach us through your word you encourage us but lord you also rebuke us Um, lord i pray that you would show us where we fail show us where we fail to um, invite people in show us where we fail to be life-giving, where we keep people away from the table because they look different, because they act different. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to point people to you, Jesus, in all of our life. Um, Call call them to repentance, but point them to you, um, because you are the life. You are life-giving. Lord, I thank you so much for those who are gathered.